Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Well, her name is uh, Teresa, and she is, again, likely today, standing on the median at an intersection where Interstate 40 crosses uh, crosses over a, a four-lane road. She's standing there with a sign. Um, she's been there most days that I can remember for the past year, and um, I know her name. Um, and I confess that her life is so complex that it's hard for me to imagine how Teresa is going to get off the street. She is uh, one among millions who have been added to the roles of those who are considered homeless just this year in the United States. So the Wall Street Journal is reviewing data from around the country provided not only by the government, but by nonprofits who serve people who are homeless. And uh, that review of the data results in the United States having seen a record increase in people who are homeless this year. Um, Numbers are up roughly 11 percent from 2022. That is a sharp jump. Um, it, It it represents um, by far the biggest record increase in homelessness since the government started actually tracking comparable numbers uh, a couple of decades ago. 11% in one year. So they're calling it a surge. It reflects um, a host of pressures that we would recognize. We've talked about many of these pressures. Some of it is rising housing costs or the lack of affordable rental units, um, but much of it is untreated mental health, addiction, trauma, um, the opioid crisis, the breakdown of the family, which leaves people who are in need with nowhere to go when they need a place to go. No, no one to turn to. They don't have a family. And... And some people would say all we need to do to solve homelessness is give people who are homeless a place to live. Well, that is the um, uh, that is the the movement that started in like 1992. It was actually started by a social worker in New York City. It's called the Housing First Initiative. You've probably heard of it. If you are engaged with um, homeless ministry, you know about it. The Housing First Initiative says you got to give people a place to live. And after that, you know, we can we can help them resolve um, the issues that that got them there, the other challenges that they faced. But it hasn't worked. Um, It's not working. You could consider San Francisco. You could consider the whole state of Arizona. Both of those have employed a housing first um, approach. And today there are nearly 
8,000 homeless people in the city of San Francisco. Um, And in the state of Arizona, since 2010, where they have built more than 7,000 homes for the homeless, um, they have more unsheltered people today. Um, In fact, the homeless population in Arizona has increased by 50% over the same time period. Um, Unsheltered people across the United States, the population of people who are living homeless in the United States since 2015, so we're talking about eight years here, has grown by 35%. So if you're seeing Teresa on the corner um, and you think to yourself, I feel like uh, a decade ago, you know, on the corner where I live and the community where I live and the cities that I visit, there were not as many people living unsheltered or homeless. You're right. You're right. Um, The Department of Housing and Urban Development found that at least 25% of people in the United States who are homeless are seriously mentally ill. 25% of the people who are homeless are seriously mentally ill. Um, 38% of homeless people are alcohol dependent and 26% are dependent on some other harmful chemical. So drug addicted, opioid addicted. And so we have a constellation of issues, and Jesus is concerned about all of them. Um, Jesus didn't have a home, technically, the way that we think of it and define it. He was uh, not, not born in, um, in a home, or not in his home anyway. Spent the night before his death uh, in a garden. Slept, uh, slept on the couch, like lots of places, right? Never owned a home. But he was the recipient of the grace and the hospitality of others. Think of all the nights he spent in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And then think of all the camping that he and the disciples did. If you're watching the Chosen series, then you know that how they, how they show the life of Jesus and the disciples is basically like a three-year camping trip, for lack of a better way of describing it. They carried their stuff around and they set up camp and they served people. We got to have a New Testament imagination in terms of the concerns um, related to this issue. And so if you've got ideas and you've got ministries that you know of that are proving effective, I'd love to know about them. You can always text me 877-933-2484 or email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. Our friend Bill English is going to join us next. We're going to continue exploring his book, Working for a Difficult Boss, Lessons from the Life of Daniel. Today, we're going to talk about grounding our identity in Christ at work. You are a Christ person at work. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, joining us now, our friend Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com, the author of many books, the latest of which is Working for a Difficult Boss, Lessons from the Life of Daniel. Hey, good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning. How's the Carminator doing this morning? Mm-hmm. Carminator, Carminator's good today. I'm good. I'm well. It's good. well with my good. soul. How are you? I'm, I'm actually really good today. Yeah. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, I wanted to dig into chapter three of your book today and talk about grounding yes. our identity in Christ. 
Um, so maybe let's just start with the verse, the verses that this chapter uh, grows out of, and that's J- Daniel chapter one, um, verses five to seven. Could you just begin this conversation by reading those to us? Sure. Yeah, this is out of the NIV, uh, talking about Daniel and his friends. They were to be educated for three years. Uh, this is after their arrival in Babylon, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Yeah, I, I, I taking away your name, I mean you know, maybe remind us of where these young men are at this um, stage and um, why their Hebrew names are being replaced by um, by other names. So these these guys have arrived from um, Ju- the land of Judah. They are they were uh, brought up in families of influence, or probably nobility, and uh, they were uh, being groomed to be the next leaders uh, within within the country or or the uh, tribe of Judah. They're brought over to Babylon because they're some of the best and the brightest. So one of the things that Nebuchadnezzar did when he when he captured a land and, and a people, he would take the best, kind of the cream of the crop of that land in terms of people, talent, um, resources, that kind of thing, and he'd bring it all to Babylon. And so these four are brought over. And the reason that their names are changed is to take away their uh, Hebrew identity and to give them a Babylonian identity. This is really more about assimilation than anything else. He wants, as part of his training program, Nebuchadnezzar wants these three guys assimilated into the Babylonian culture, to the Babylonian religion, to the Babylonian way of thinking, to the Babylonian way of doing life. He wants all that assimilated, and one of the ways to start is is with their names. So these guys are probably in their late teens, early 20s. We don't know for sure, but they're young, and, um, and they are uh, really being faced with some really significant things. So it would be like... It would be like taking you out of Tennessee, Carmen, and bringing you to Minnesota. And instead of being a LaBerge, you're now an Olson or an Anderson or a Larson, something like that. Uh, that This is the kind of name change uh, that they would be doing. Uh, but, uh, Nebuchadnezzar did this on a regular basis with um, different lands and, and peoples that he conquered. He brought them in, put them into a training program, and changed their names to Babylonian names. Um, Daniel continued to identify with God, even though um, those who ha- held him and his uh, and his friends in captivity sought to have them live differently. So when we come back from a very brief break, we're going to talk about um, Daniel as an, ex- as an exemplar here of continuing to identify with God, even though those around you try to um, have you conform to a particular culture. Um, and a particular worldview. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at myfaithradio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. Mm-hmm. 
We're talking with our friend Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. We're talking about his latest book, Working for a Difficult Boss, Lessons from the Life of Daniel. And yes, we do have some copies to give away today. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. We're digging around today in Chapter 3, Grounding Our Identity in Christ at Work. Um, So talk with us about how Daniel identified with God, even even as... um, the Babylonians were seeking to have him, have he and his friends fully assimilate into um, their culture and worldview. Yeah, I think I think the four of them were grounded strong enough in their faith growing up that when they went to Babylon, uh, publicly they were known by their Babylonian names, but privately I think they held on to their faith. How they did this, I the, we're not told. We're just told that they did this. So these are remarkable four young men, um, uh, you know, who did this. Um, it, it's interesting. Later on in chapter one, you're going to find that that Nebuchadnezzar gets so angry with the wise men that he wants to kill them all. Right? I mean, he's he's an impulsive guy. And um, Daniel comes back after learning that he might be dead in twelve hours, and him and his three friends. Um, they get on their knees and they cry out to God all night in prayer. And Dan, that's when Daniel gets the first vision and 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 he starts to build real credibility with, with Nebuchadnezzar when he gives the proper interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. That crying out to God all night is is an indication of just how close they walked with God and how much they trusted God and and their um their complete dependence upon God, even though publicly they were known by other things. Now, what I'm not advocating here, Carmen, is that we have dual identities. Uh, but in Daniel's situation, he did have a dual identity to a point because it was forced on him. But as Christians who live in America, we need to have a single identity. We need, we need to have a congruent identity across our work, civic, church, personal all the all the various spheres that we run in in life, we need to have a consistent identity that consistently delivers on who we are. I'm not talking about a personal brand here, but I am talking about us being consistent across all all the various um, re- aspects of life. You and I, Carmen, do not have an identity being forced on us, mm. but they did, and they still remain faithful to God. I, I really find that remarkable. Yeah, I do too. I do too. That's one of my favorite things actually about this chapter is how you um, help us see that. Um, talk with us about how we form our identities today. You know, some people <laughs> form it based on their politics. Some people are known more as a Republican or a Democrat. Some Christians, I should say, are known more as a Republican or Democrat. Um, other people are known, um, you know, more for their uh, uh Maybe they're giving business owners are often known more as a business owner. And this is one of the problems uh, with business owners trying to um, sell their business when they're in their 60s or 70s is if they don't have an identity outside of business ownership, then they have nothing to go to after they sell. And so they hang on way too long and and it's really becomes an, an identity thing. Um, you know, another one uh, is... <laughs> 
Well, I have a nice quote in there about IKEA, but I won't I won't read it to you here. But some people actually form identities based on the brands that they wear. This is more for kids and junior hires and maybe high schoolers, but it does apply to Oh no, adults it applies too. to women women with handbags and men with cars. It definitely yes. is a branding issue. It's just that the products get more and more expensive. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So um I mean, the you know, Ford guys we, and the Chevy we, guys, they, I mean, there's a, there's a difference. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Tractors. You, you know, just start talking about the brand the... of tractors. You're, you don't, I mean, you know, they're definitely. <laughs> I was just going to go there. Thing. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. You can go there. I know. I, I, I bought yellow one time and mm. all my brother-in-law had green. And, green, and green. That's thing. right. Mm-hmm. Blue, orange. It, it yeah. Was... You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I lived it actually. But our, our really our identity should be grounded in the fact that we are new creations in Christ, right? That that God has come and He has redeemed us from the pit of hell and brought us into the kingdom of His Son, Colossians 1, 19 and 20. And He has transformed us into somebody new. We are given a new nature. And with that new nature, we're given a new identity. And our identity is now wrapped up in Christ as a follower of Christ, as a steward of what Christ has entrusted to us. And so this whole idea that earthly things like position, power, money, brands, forms our identity really should be set aside. And we should be uh, thinking about ourselves in terms of our nature in Christ and our stewardship role before Christ. And that's the, I, I talk about that. Uh, in the book, and that's why I borrowed from. I don't, you probably saw this here, Carmen. I borrowed from uh, Neil Anderson's uh, Freedom in Christ Ministries, mm-hmm. uh, and and I, I relisted all the truths of who we are in Christ in the book, and then I just suggested that everybody read it for thirty days. It would it transforms how you think about yourself and how you identify. Yeah, that's so good. That um, yeah, that's just so good. Um, all right, we got to leave it right there, Bill. As always, thank you so much. If you guys want the book, I know you do. You can text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. We've got a handful of copies to give away today. Love to, for you to have one of those. Again, text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four. Eight four. You can visit with Bill and connect with him at bibleandbusiness.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. If somebody were just to straight up ask, who are you? How would you answer that question? Like that, that gets at what Bill English and I were talking about here just a moment ago. Um, who are you? How are you known? Who are you known by? What are you known as? What are you known for? Um, We are not what we do. We're not human doings. We are human beings. So who are you? When um, I'm thinking here about Moses just straight up asking the burning bush or, you know, the God revealed in the burning bush. He's not really asking the bush. It just would have looked like that at the time. Takes off his shoes, walking on holy ground. Who are you? Like, who are you? And God says, I, I am. I, I, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am the God who is. I am that I am. I am Yahweh. I am. Who are you? 
who are you? I mean, if if your life is marked by love and marked by grace and marked by mercy in such a way today that somebody would turn aside from hurting the sheep of the day to you, the burning bush, the shiny thing, and pause long enough to ask, who are you? Like, what? Who are you? I mean, are you ready to say, like, I am a child of God? I am one washed clean? I am adopted into God's family? I am complete? I am holy? I am loved? I am gifted? I am safe? I am chosen? I am treasured? All of those things and a thousand more are true of those who belong to Jesus. Is that what we say about ourselves when people ask us who we are? Do we describe ourselves first in relationship to Christ, or do we describe ourselves first in relationship to others, or relationship to place, or relationship to work? How are you known? How am I known? I mean, this is what I get up and do every morning, but this is not who I am. And even if I talk about my family, I, I love them. They're precious to me. But the roles that I have in my family is not who I am. Who I am is who I am in relationship to God, who he has created and redeemed and called and sent me to be. Not to do, but to be. Let's live today out of our knownness. Not all that we know, but out of the fact that we are known. Jeff Grinnell is going to join us next. We're going to talk about the faith of emerging generations and how to shepherd their hearts and how to guide them. We're talking about discipleship of the next generation. The book is Next Gen Faith. We've been talking about some of these spiritual practices for youth with Jeff Grinnell over the period of time. And today we're going to focus on silence. <laughs> Imagine talking with a person in the next generation about silence. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Jeff Grinnell is back. Youthology is the organization. Next Gen Faith is the book we're going to talk about today. We've been unpacking it over um, a series of conversations. 12 Spiritual Practices for Youth. Today, we're going to focus on silence. Jeff, good morning. Welcome. Yes, good morning. Great to be back, Carmen. So I was tempted to test the patience of the audience uh, here, Um, how long you and I could just sit in silence as an exercise. But silence (laughs) on the radio is actually like contrary to the whole way we operate. It's considered deadly. So um, talk with us about the importance of silence, maybe just an overview of this topic um, as a part of the 12 spiritual practices for youth you talk about in Next Gen Faith. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I too must be very similar to you, Carmen. I was thinking the same thing after you asked the first question. And then I thought what we would hear is, uh, we lost connection. Can we get him back? (laughs) And uh, that response is kind of like our life, isn't it? Um, I feel like one of the things that we 
um, that we have taught ourselves is that busyness equals production. Mm. And that is so far from the truth. And uh, I, I live in downtown Minneapolis. And when I take a walk downtown at lunch hour uh, and you see these executives walk out of their high rises in, with their gym bag on their shoulder or in their hand, headed to a, quote, working lunch or whatever, right? <laughs> I'm like, man, this pace, how, how, um, how have we convinced ourselves that busyness is production? And I feel like that kind of pace from parents in the home or youth leaders in the church have done the same thing for a generation of teenagers called Gen Z, who now equate busyness with production. Like, if I'm going to get anything done, I can't rest. So that would be, you know, the, the, my first thought. The, the, the second thought, real quick, would be that if we take that rest, really, a Sabbath, as a command, it should change the way we look at it. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Mm. When you um, when you said the word production, you know, I think that there was a point in time when we actually produced things. Now it's like we're just producing some sort of entertainment show for other people. And we cast ourselves as the main character of that. Like, we're not even really producing anything, most of us. Um, but we are acting as if our life is a production to be consumed um, right. by other people. And and that kind of entertainment is also not not play. And I want to get around to that part yeah. of the conversation yeah. as well when we talk about um, this topic. But let's take one step back and frame the conversation. Why, um, why are we encouraging... Um, the cultivation of these spiritual practices, not just for youth, but for all of us. Um, and and what are the inward disciplines, um, one of which is silence, but like, what are we talking about here? What are we talking about when we're talking about these spiritual practices writ large, and then specifically the inward disciplines? Yeah, I'm glad, we, I'm glad we're going to bring that up because I, I feel like the, everything is external, um, Everything, all of our evaluation of someone is so external. It, it is so outward. And rarely, think about it, rarely do we look at uh, someone and say, uh, man, uh, they're mature, or man, that person comes across to me as humble, or man, that, that person is quiet. <laughs> uh, I, I, I feel like everything that we, we would say when we see someone is they're tall, they're short, they're blonde, they are, um, they're handsome. So you, everything moves to a completely different evaluation in a narcissistic society that is nothing about character. It's more about clothes, right? It's nothing about um, 
it's nothing about the type or kind of person someone is. It's about their label or title. And, and, and so I feel like we need to put a greater value on our relationship. You know, I was talking to a teenager about this and they were like, you know, I sat at the lunch table and one of my friends complimented me on my haircut, which made me feel great. And then I thought, and this is a very mature, spiritually mature teenager. And and then I thought to myself, I'm going to give them a compliment of their character, like an inward compliment. And so the person said, you know, I just really appreciate how well um, you do in school. Like you really impressed me with your, um, uh, your study, you know, scholastic, et cetera academics and the person said wow no one's ever told me that mm. and this is a, this is a uh 4.0 student who's a friend of this this young man's so it's really wild how easy it is to measure the outside but to forget about the greater um character in inward disciplines you know of someone's life mm. that is so good i mean i i'm gonna i'm gonna sort of write that on a mental cue card today. Like, how can I compliment this other person on something I know about them in terms of their yeah. character? Not not outward appearance or not, you know, how funny, you know, something that they did or said was, but like, how can I compliment them on what I see that the Holy Spirit is doing inside of them, even if that's not the language that I use? Great. That, yeah, yeah, that, so that We talk about the teenagers, you know, and you... Uh, you you mentioned all of us, right? Adults too, whatever our age or stage in life, I think is how you said it. And I think that would be great for our marriages, for our coworkers, and for us to train our our families, to teach our families the importance of the inward life, right? Mm. Um, one of my sweet colleagues, um, her name is Angela, and she's got a couple of boys and they have both made professions of faith and were baptized this past Sunday. And as a part of that, in their worship service at their church, they, you know, stood up in front of the congregation and sort of claimed for themselves a passage of Scripture um, or a portion of Scripture. And um, one of her boys, like, I mean, he sermonized on it briefly. Um, you know, he's talking, he was talking about Psalm 35 and, and the way that, you know, Love God— that right? The way God is the one doing battle for us, contending for us. Contending. Um, even, yeah, right? And I just thought, okay, Charlie is going to be marked by that passage of Scripture forever. And he stood mm -hmm. up and he laid claim to it publicly. And I want to, the next time I see him, I want to affirm that. Yes. I want to I want to, so like now I want to memorize Psalm 35 so that the next time I see Charlie, I can tell Great. him how I, how I see it in him, right? And so I think oh. that Right. I think that finding those ways to connect with I think that's one of our questions. Like we're like, how do I even connect with a teenager today? Like, I don't know. They live in a different like I feel like they're <laughs> spinning in a different world than I'm living in. But we are inhabiting the same space. And sometimes it's just a matter of me getting far enough off the stage and out of the spotlight that I can see them, that they can be themselves, yeah. that God can reveal the deep work he's doing in them. Like God's at work in these young people. And it is amazing. Oh my, yes. You know, uh, let me give you a, a quick illustration with what you just said. Um, everywhere I go, 
I see great signs in this generation, great spiritual signs in this generation. You know, we've we've heard the news, we've seen the university uh, prayer meetings, all of that. Now the summer came, and now what's going to happen in the fall? Right? Uh, we've seen it. I, if listen, if the church is in the hands of the young people that I see across this country, the church is in great hands. I want to encourage our listeners. Um, I don't see the, the uh, they're defying Gen Z. And, and let me just say this, because we haven't seen the stats. Alpha Gen and younger Gen Z, because Gen Z is up into college now. Alpha Gen coming, which is the elementary kids behind junior high and high school kids. Alpha Gen and younger Gen Z are defying the statistics, the, the spiritual statistics set against them. I, I see it. So I want to bring that encouragement. Um and one one way to, to show you that is I, I feel like if we could just bring out in a in a generation that positive inner core, you watch. It's go, it will drive them to worship and resilience and silence and um the Sabbath. It will drive them to it because they are moved by um, encouragement and gratitude, especially from from leaders who pull those things out of the, it will drive them to the, the inner discipline. Mm, that's so good. Um, we're going to talk about specifically the inner discipline of silence. Um, and what does that look like? So maybe just sit silently for just a moment um, while we <laughs> take a brief pause, and then we're going to return to our conversation with Jeff Grinnell. We're talking about um, a chapter out of Next Gen Faith, that it's one of the 12 spiritual practices for youth that's outlined therein, and we're going to talk about silence. And it's not just for youth, it's for you. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. just want to give a shout out to uh, Kathy Connor, who discipled me when I was a young person, and um, those invitations to spiritual disciplines that she invited me into a long time ago now um, continue to be the disciplines that feed my spiritual life today. And so shout out to uh, Kathy Connor. I don't suspect you're listening, but somebody in Tampa might be. So go ahead and tell Kathy she got a shout out today. Jeff Grinnell is with young people every single day. um, And he wrote a book called Next Gen Faith, 12 Spiritual Practices for Youth. He's engaged in this ministry all the time. You can find it at Youthology. Um, let's talk about chapter 12, let, or chapter 11. Let's talk about silence. Um, why yeah. does it matter? What is it? How do we get it? Well, I, I love 
as as we left that uh, last segment, I, I love the statement you're saying. This is not just about youth; it's about you, right? And uh, I, I I've learned I've learned that because if we can get these spiritual disciplines into the home, that's where the change begins. And that I, and, and I realize there are some teenagers leading their homes spiritually, but we uh, for those parents that are listening. It will, it will be critical that you understand your role in the spiritual formation of your kids. It was uh, Ronald Reagan who said 40 years ago, if you want to fundamentally change a society, you must begin at the dinner table. And so these principles, you know, in the book, Next Gen Faith, are critical to gaining back the home because the problems that we have in America are not the government or progressive education like we think or social media. The problems that we have in America stem from the home, right, Carmen? So when asking that question, let me let me make let me make a statement. Rest is spiritual. <laughs> I, we don't usually think that way. Uh, usually we think rest um, rest is anti-productive, right? If I'm going to be anything in life, I have to be busy because busyness equals production. But I, I really want to change that narrative and make the statement that rest is spiritual. And when we just think of that phrase, it it's rejuvenating, it's transformative. It is it's regeneration because I think sometimes we forget that we are recharged. We are just like batteries rechargeable batteries. We, uh, we can be recharged, but we run out, right? It's like, I, I tell young people, uh, the illustrations in the book, when you start driving, one of the first things you're going to learn is how valuable and important gas stations are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, unless, uh, unless you're driving your parents' car and using their gas, right? Um, that, that's, that's, a, that's a reality, but the, the recharging that comes from Rest and spiritual formation is transformative. Well, and we're so, I mean, we're so crazy. I mean, we even want to know how fast can we recharge? Like we want a fast jack recharge. Correct. We don't want no Correct. slow recharge. Like how can I, how can I maximize my recharge? Like, and so when, when we're talking about silence, when we're talking about rest, when we're talking about Sabbath, we are talking about this image in Psalm 4610, um, which is yeah. translated variously, be still and know that I am God. I like the translation that's uh, in the NASB that says, cease striving and Correct. know that I am God. This, this, this rest is a, is a resting in the Lord. It's, a, it's yeah. allowing God to do his work. Um, it's recognizing that I am not the source of the living water. I am not the source of the love. I am not the source of the grace. I am not the source. I'm not the source of any of it. He is. Yeah. And yeah. I got to go to the love well if I'm going to love well. Yes. You know, I love that look at Psalm 46. The The other text that we're familiar with is those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Mm, and that good. word wait, that word wait is a great um, there's a great set of articles on that, on, on, on the reality of what, 
what weight means. And it's almost as if we are a waiter serving the Lord, doing right, uh, being about the Father's business. The, uh, the idea is that there are things we can do to wait. <laughs> like, okay, here's one that, that I ta- talk about in the book, and that is a play deprivation. Um, just think about that term, a play deprivation. We don't play well today. We don't, um, we don't rejuvenate well through total health, total wellness. And uh, the things as simple as playing a game and what it does for us. Things like, uh, here's a, a set of questions for our, for our listeners. When is the last time you played with an object, such as a ball, a squeeze toy, um, a, a jump rope, right? A stuffed animal. Uh, how do you relieve tension or stress from your life? When is the last time you sweat from an activity? When's the last time you took the stairs instead of the, the elevator or the escalator, right? Um, when's the last time you stepped over the crack so you wouldn't break your mother's back, <laughs> right? Those little things just going for a walk. So I feel like total wellness, really, it would, whole health, right, as, as we talk about, would be um, gained just through this changing, this lack of this play deprivation. Mm, that's so good. Um, all right. Well, I uh, I built a fairyland with my nine-year-old granddaughter uh, over the weekend. Um, and so I can tell that you counts. that um, the mushrooms and the moss and the sticks, um, yeah, there's a lot going on in her little heart and mind. Um, and if you get down there long enough, um, that you're doing something together that is imaginative play um, and is is joy yep. sharing. You do you do get an opportunity then to hear what's in their heart, um, and, right. and then so, yeah, what's on their minds and all of that. So it's so good. It's just so good. That's a great, that's a great illustration, Carmen. Quickly, um, there are side effects if we're not doing, if we're not playing, mm-hmm. and those side effects are as simple as simple as no laughter or joy, right? Or as great as a loss of desire to live. Like you I look at that spectrum. There those these stressors like um anger, loss of creativity, no confidence, health issues, um complaining, right? All of these kind a negative attitude, those stressors can become fatal if we're not careful. So I like to tell young people all the time um, if you're not playing, right, if you are not playing in your life, that is a fatal mistake. So how can we change that with some of these questions I asked, right, as, as simple as how, how often do you run? How, when's the last time you jumped? When's the last time you laughed so hard you cried? So we've got to return to some of these things with that principle, rest is spiritual. It's so good. All right. We're completely out of time, but we have loved our conversation with you. No, that's so great. Um, hey, let me, um, you're listening right now. Let me encourage you to rest in the Lord today. Rest in the Lord today. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.